You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Our world is spinning right now, and we all feel it deeply and acutely. Some are bearing the wounds of a long and painful history. Some of us may have a tendency to identify one facet of our troubled moment and and latch onto it and fuel it in such a way that it encompasses all of reality. Right now, you see things very clearly. Others of us are at a loss for words, and perhaps more truthfully, a paralyzing fear of saying the wrong thing. Perhaps it's just best to sit on our back porches and wait everything out. So these are challenging times, and I don't pretend to have sufficient emotional or intellectual depth to sort through the challenges. There are rocks to crash on on every side. I find myself praying these words regularly these days. God, grant us wisdom and grant us courage. Lord, teach us to pray. And I say this this morning as an honest confession, my prayers don't come close to the number of articles that I've read or news feeds that I've followed over the past few weeks. We need the Psalms to teach us again how to speak. Ancient words ever new bring fresh fire to our lips because we have no idea what to say. When I saw Psalm 100 as the psalm for this second Sunday of Pentecost, I had no choice but to lean into it. Our collective consciousness as a congregation, as a a small representative here in Birmingham, Alabama of Christ Church on earth, our collective consciousness in the face of such distressing times demands that we turn our eyes to Jesus Christ and to his holy word. So truth be told, this morning I'm I'm relying on what I'll call the the providence of the lectionary. Psalms of lament, like Psalm 13, would be fitting for today. That psalm asks the haunting question of every suffering person, how long, O Lord? But that wasn't the psalm for today. Psalm 57 would fit as well. Have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me, for in you do I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster is past. We need Psalm 57. We need all of them, frankly. But today's psalm is Psalm 100, which at first glance really seems a little too bright and too happy for our moment. Children chant Psalm 100 at Thanksgiving time doesn't feel appropriate in the face of death and despair. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all ye lands, all the earth. But maybe what we need today is Psalm 100, a psalm of gratitude and a psalm of thanksgiving, a psalm of grateful praise. Karl Barth long ago said that all sin at its most radical and basic level is ingratitude. And gratitude is the flip side of the coin of idolatry. And the clarion call from the Bible from beginning to end is for gratitude. 
How often does the Apostle Paul end his letters with, oh, and be thankful. Gratitude is God's antiseptic against our idolatrous tendencies. Because we all know that left to ourselves, we'll turn any good gift or idea or possession or dream that we have, or you name it, into an idol, and we will bow before it. As one contemporary author reminds us, we become what we love. So yes, Psalm 100 fits so well with the oranges and the reds of a well-dressed Thanksgiving table. Perhaps today, though, we'll hear it with a different tune and in a different cultural context. Hear the words, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Psalm 100 begins here at the stopping post of all Christian faith. The whole earth is under the authority and the lordship of of our God. All the earth, all ye lands. We confess it in one form or another every Sunday together. We just did it. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And as Andrew reminded us last Sunday, there's not a square inch of this whole glorious and broken world that Jesus does not claim as his own. The scope is as broad as the globe that we inhabit. Nothing falls outside the purview of our creator and our redeemer God. As we saw our astronauts uh, a few weeks ago make their way outside of Earth's atmosphere once again, we got a glimpse of this marble of a planet that we inhabit in the great expanse of the universe. All of it, Psalm 100 tells us, is made for the praise and the worship of God. If we lose this basic claim of Psalm 100, then we lose perspective on everything, and we're all prone to lose perspective. Listen to the commands of Psalm 100. Shout for joy. Worship the Lord. Come before Him with joyful songs and know. Know what? Know that the Lord, He is God. He's the Creator. He oversees it all and, it's, and is moving all of the beauty and brokenness of human history to His own glorious end. All of our existence is before Him. And if it's not before Him, then we have no hope and are lost in the world of colliding atoms and the senseless machinery of human history. C.S. Lewis claims long ago that pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Well, our national and global moment is riddled with pain right now. And the trumpet blast of Psalm 100 calls us back to this basic facet of our momentary earthly existence, The Lord is God, and those who recognize him as God turn away from themselves to gaze on him in his glory and his beauty, in the suffering of his own death and resurrection. And why do we turn to him and gaze on him and worship again and again so we don't get lost in the echo chamber of our own best thoughts or our deepest hurts so we can see him? And so we can be healed. Shout for joy. Worship. Come before him. Know that the Lord is God. Oh Lord, let your face shine on us again and heal our land. The movement of Psalm 100 is drastic. The first verse tells us um, the whole earth is to worship the Lord. 
And the end of verse 3 moves from this wide-angled lens down to the narrow focus of God's people, to his church. The simplicity of Psalm 100 is also its most profound word to us. Know who God is, the creator and the redeemer of the world, and know who you are at your most basic and primary level. As Psalm 100 states it, it is he who has made us, and we are his. We are his people. We're the sheep of his pasture. He created us, and we are his. It doesn't get clearer than that. And few claims of the Bible are as countercultural and offensive as this one, no matter where you place yourself on the political spectrum. I am not my own. I belong to another. And how remarkably and radically this basic truth can alter how we view ourselves and others, especially those who differ from us along racial and socioeconomic lines. We are not our own. That man, that woman belongs to God just like I do. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. I'm not my own, but belong to the nail-scarred hands of another. That's who I am. And that person there, they are made in God's image as well. So Psalm 100 has a lot of clapping and dancing around it. It should, even though we don't feel like clapping and dancing right now. I don't. But it's a wake-up call to some very basic tenets of our faith. The the theology exam at the end of Psalm 100 isn't that difficult. Question one, who is God? Answer, he's the creator and the redeemer of the world. Question two, who are you? Answer, God made me and I belong to him. Not one square inch of my existence does not belong to Jesus. And question three, What should you do about this? Turn my gaze away from myself to God in worship, song, and the knowledge of who God is for us in Jesus. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all ye lands. I served as a youth director, which I know for some of you is hard to believe, but served as a youth director years ago at, at a non-denominational church in Greenville, South Carolina. I, I have to say, I still look back on those days with an enormous amount of fondness. I had no idea what I didn't know back then. I think those were the good old days. But one of my closest friends on the church staff was our pastoral counselor. Of course, he always honored uh, confidentiality with those who came to see him, but he told me a story uh, one time about an unnamed husband and wife who were seeing him for counseling. And the marital tension was at an all-time high, and they exploded in the counseling session with Rick sitting right there. And as the barbs were flying back and forth, Rick stopped them, and he said, would one of you go out into the hallway right now and get Jesus and bring him in here? We need him badly right now. Someone go and get Jesus. And I smile as I remember that story, but don't you feel that way right now? Someone please go and get Jesus. We need him so badly. We need him right now. Psalm 100 ends with such resounding hope. It ends with a refrain that appears throughout the Psalms. The Lord is good. His steadfast love, it endures forever. And admittedly, a statement like that in the face of human suffering and political unrest can come across as a platitude. Bumper stickers don't heal broken hearts. 
Christian catchphrases don't reconcile fractured relationships. But Jesus does. And God has demonstrated before the whole world what his goodness and his relentless love looks like. The last verse of Psalm 100 is no empty platitude or abstract statement. It took form, concrete and tangible form in Jesus Christ, the one who lived and died for us and for the whole world. We live in a fallen world. Sin will remain in it until heaven and earth become one. But in the meantime, Paul says, be reconciled to God. It's our only real hope for ourselves and for our neighbors. Someone go and get Jesus, our creator, our king, and our savior. We need him. The world needs him right now. Oh, Lord, make haste to help us. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.